Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkablogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins. Go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. AltitudeHomesTeam.com slash HawkBlogger. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fans. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out no matter how hard it rains in my city. Everybody, welcome to the 249th episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nemhauser. You can find me on Twitter at HawkBlogger. And yes, I'm still on Twitter. Yes, there's still some interesting stuff happening there. It has not all collapsed, nor has society crumbled yet. We will hang on for dear life as we always do. It's part of our duty as Seahawks fans. Um, we've done well so far. We are going to talk tonight about a lot of stuff that I don't know that other people have gotten into yet. I think we're still a little bit ahead of the game on Real Hawk Talk. There's some parts that people are going deeper. Good for them. I think we've started talking draft. We've been talking draft since the beginning of this year. We've been talking that number five pick since, uh, you know, really the whole season, watching where that could be. Tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about free agency. And we're going to talk about who's out there, what positions, how to philosophically approach free agency relative to other things. And we're going to talk a little bit, depending on how we do for time, on picks other than that first overall pick for the Seahawks and some potential guys that might be worth thinking about. And John Schneider also had some interesting words today. We will start there. And we always, always, always get to our patron questions uh, patreon.com slash hawkblogger if you haven't already sign up right now get immediate access to the slack channel and you too can ask us questions every week on the show 
we've got a bunch. I think we've got like 13 odd questions. We'll see how many we can get to tonight. So before we do, let me bring in the crew and we will start by introducing Dana O'Gorman at Dana OG on Twitter. Dana, you specifically wanted to be here to talk free agents. So we are happy to have you as always. Thanks. Yeah, I think that while I, it's completely logical to be super focused on the draft, especially with the number of draft picks that we have in the, in the, you know, the number of, you know, first round draft picks, th that's going to be the focus. Right. But I, I really feel like free agency is super important um, either for re-signing players that we already have, or, you know, getting a couple of, of players. Cause we've had such impact players in free agency before. And I have a ton of questions about it. So I'm excited. It'll be good. I'm excited as well. Uh, also tonight, Jeff Simmons at real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. If you haven't already go to hawkblogger.com right now, there's actually a couple great articles up there. Derek wrote one. Uh, he wrote about why the Seahawks should consider a quarterback at the fifth spot. Just goes to show this is an equal opportunity blog and podcast. Even if I vehemently disagree, we are going to air all the different perspectives because as long as they're well thought out and Derek's always are. So include definitely encourage you to go read that. And then Jeff Simmons today published a look at the defensive side of the ball, which we will definitely talk about today. Jeff, how you doing, man? I'm all right, Brian. Uh, there was a big snowstorm this afternoon here in Toronto. So if my internet cuts out tonight, it's not because of Canada. My whole yard is covered in snow. So it's probably because of Canada. I agree with you. You're not wrong. <laughs> Nathan wasn't buying that. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm, there's, there's a lot to talk about. As Dana said, there's there's a lot going on in the next few months. So I, as you guys all know, I'm pretty into it. I'm yes. In, so. Yes. Looking forward to it as well. And then finally, but certainly not last or least, I guess he is last in the introductions, but he's not least. Uh, Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11. He was first to show up tonight. He was early. Nathan mm -hmm. usually a seconds before the show, but tonight he could not wait to get ready to talk Seahawks offseason. How are you doing, Nathan? I'm doing pretty good. How, how are you doing? You know, I'm doing well. You know, uh, we are at uh, turn of the year. And so at work, we're doing like performance reviews and performance management. And uh, obviously, challenging times economically for the world and and uh you know trying to figure out the right things to do for people all along is something i actually really enjoy but it's also really exhausting um going through each and every person in a company and trying to make sure that they are taken care of properly so that's what's been on my mind i'm really happy to switch gears and talk about stuff that matters not at all in seahawks football um okay cool so let's let's dive in there's one thing I have to get out of the way that is maybe a brain twister and maybe is totally wrong. So I, I, I need you guys, if you know the answer to, to tell me. I've been perplexed by this. So the NFL draft order, one, two, three, four, five, the Seahawks have the fifth pick in the draft. And then if you go to the second round, they have the one, two, three, four, five, sixth pick in the second round. And the Rams are picking above them. Why is that? Does because, anybody know? It's because of Miami, isn't it? Because they lost yeah, their first round pick. Switch the order. Oh, that's true. Do they? Is that how they do tiebreakers? 
that like but why would it switch tiebreakers from the first round to the second round does it like flop you mean maybe does it alter yeah i don't know i'm that's uh that is interesting this has been bothering me the seahawks now own the 37th pick if you go to like tankathon it'll show it as the 38th pick but that's because of what dana mentioned Mm -hmm. miami has a forfeited pick in the first round that they're still giving a number to so it's really the 37th pick but as of what i can see the rams own the 36th pick and they own the sixth pick so this is weird to me anybody else have any it's not from another team no, no, there's some weird tie-breaking formula. I can't remember what it is specifically, but it's like based on like the previous year's results, the team with the lower record picks under. It's never made sense to me. It's, it's always I've always had the same reaction as you, Brian. I don't understand why the order would be different. Yeah, it's it's confusing. And then if you go to the third round, and this is what gives Nathan's explanation some credence, uh, the Broncos will have the fifth pick again, and the Rams will have the sixth pick. Um, so it is alternating, it seems to be. Yeah, I can't remember the exact breed. It's so stupid. It's really stupid. Um, so anyway, I just had to get that out of the way because it's been bugging me. Um, wanted to make sure I wasn't getting false information, but uh, that's that. I want to start by talking about John Schneider actually, because John Schneider had an interview today. I don't know if any of you had a chance to actually hear it and not just read what people recapped. But there were some interesting tidbits in there. Um, first of all, did any of you get a chance to actually hear the interview on KJR with with Ian Furness? I heard most of it. Okay. Okay. So before I dive in, Jeff, was there anything that stood out to you in, in that conversation with John Schneider? Uh, not really. Like if you listen to him talk, he kind of throws out the same stories and the same tidbits. And he doesn't give a lot of insight in interviews. He's actually... He'll talk about like that championship contender line. Like he threw that out. How many times has he said that? So like, not really. He said a lot of like, almost like the version of coach speak a lot. Like he did talk about how, like the biggest thing I took away is he talked about some of the mistakes they've made in the draft and where that's came from and stuff we've talked about in the show over the years of where they've gone wrong is he talked about that. They draft when they've made mistakes, they've drafted for need and hyper-focused on one position and, what they did well last year was just take the best player and stuff that Dana, you haven't been in best as long as the other three, but stuff that we've talked about for so long. So other that was the big takeaway for me and hopefully they're learning from what they did last year. But the rest of it was a lot of what I would call GM coach speak kind of stuff. Yeah. I thought that was one of the more interesting pieces. Uh, and for folks that didn't hear uh, Furness, Ian Furness asked him, he kind of presented it like, hey, you had some initially you and Pete were just drafting for best player available. And then it seemed like you went after need a little bit more. And then and like you're trying to find like a backup running back behind Marshawn or a rotational edge rusher. And and then you like last year, you got back to the classic Schneider approach. <laughs> Schneider kind of was like. Okay, I know what you're saying is that I had shitty drafts, Dick. Uh, <laughs> but handled it with some grace. And he's like, well, he said the wrong year. He said the 2014 draft. But he meant the 2013 draft was a year where, if you just look at it, it was one of the worst draft classes in 
across the NFL in like 20 years, nobody did particularly well. And so there's some of those situations, but then he did say, yeah, we, we definitely got into situations where we prioritize need a little too high. And that was good to hear, like good to hear. And we all talked about, Hey, how much did Jody Allen have to do with last year's draft? There's all these conspiracies, which I think is personally kind of funny. I, I don't really think that's true, but, but in any event, it's, it's good to hear that that they have identified that. He also brought up that they did not necessarily think well about the types of personalities that would succeed when coming into a team that already had a bunch of alpha blue chip players. Like, was someone going to come in and really challenge Earl Thomas when they were playing with Earl Thomas on Madden? Was someone going to really challenge Richard Sherman? Was someone going to really challenge, you know, Marshawn or whoever else? And that they maybe didn't get players that had that kind of alpha mentality. So I thought that was an interesting admission as well. Um, one thing that was totally off, off in a, in a kind of a different category, but Ernest was asking about this year's class or making some comments. And he was, he said a couple things about Derek young, that he was impressed with Derek young and Nathan I want to give you a chance. This is I'm putting you in an uncomfortable position because I like to do that to you. Who do you think that like who do you think possibly Ian Furness could have compared Derek Young to and asked John Schneider if it was a decent comparison? Like Derek Young, athletic, seventh rounder, can run a little bit, can catch a little bit. Uh he didn't compare him to Doug Baldwin, did he? That's a good guess. No, he did. My not. other guess was Terrell Owens. Terrell Owens. Interesting. Dana, do you have any guesses on this one? No, I was thinking Baldwin too, but. Uh, Cooper Cup. I, no. I love these. This is good. This what is about, good. I don't know. Someone like Chase, Jamar Chase. I don't know who. Uh, he compared him to Debo Samuel. Oh, huh. okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, and Schneider said, I mean, Schneider was being not, I don't think he was like, Schneider didn't bring up this comparison. So I don't want to like, you know, rip John for that, but he didn't really deflect it either. He was like, yeah, this is a guy who played at a small school. He played more of a running, like played a running back kind of role and then became kind of a receiver. And he's a guy that really came up quickly through the season and made, you know, good opportunity, like made the most of his opportunities. And that's the right kind of mold of player to think about. Isn't, didn't, didn't Debo go to like South Carolina? Yeah. I don't think Debo is not a small school. Yeah, I, I have the same reaction. You know, a small SEC uh, group of five school. Yeah. Like yeah. borderline first round pick. Same guy. Yeah. I, I, I thought that was obviously I guess, a massive I guess the, the one thing is you're thinking about a guy that can do something with the ball in his hand. Yes. Uh, and you take it to like, and that's why I was going with like T.O. is like, okay, kind of like this, like bigger, you know, so like what is the extreme for him? And yeah, I guess sure. Debo. Yeah. That, that was the part that was laughs aside, I think was interesting. And what people don't always understand is there is this tension between the front office, the personnel department and the coaching staff. And people don't get this because I mean, Pete and John are 
thick as thieves and tight and all that kind of stuff. But even in that situation, the personnel department thinks there's players that should be getting playing time and the coaches determine who actually plays. And so Schneider was like, yeah, you want to see the, the guy like him get opportunities and get more opportunities. And so that was the highlight for me. There was one Schneider does believe that Derek young has a place and should get more run. And two, that they see his multifaceted talent as something that they're interested in. Um, whether or not that all plays out, I, I mean, that's a massive projection from what we saw, but um, I thought that was interesting as well. Cool. So I guess we don't need to talk about receivers at 20 since we have uh, Derek Debo Young on the roster. That's exactly right. I mean, he, he did make a comment that like he talked about how he threw had a throwaway line, like the receiver market's gone out of control, which made me think that they are scouting receivers. Yeah. I don't know. You know, like the, um, I just lost his name. Uh, the guy that the Jaguar assigned, uh, from the Cardinals. Oh, Christian oh, Kirk. Kirk. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. That, 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 that everyone freaked out about that. And it was, you know, oh, ruined the wide receiver market. And I think receivers did go on to get paid quite a bit. Although I don't know how much it really affected guys like, um, man, I can't remember any names. Uh, the Washington guy or DK, um, Terry McLaurin. Uh, uh, but hey, the Jacks, the Jacks made the playoffs. The Jacks did so much weird crap in the offseason, and then uh, it uh, they got rewarded for it, and they made the playoffs. So I don't know who's who's smart and who's dumb. <laughs> uh, that gets redecided every minute of every day, uh, especially when it comes to NFL front offices. Um, there are a couple other things that John said that were interesting. He did talk about Geno. He did talk about the quarterback position. He talked about Drew Locke. Uh, for, I think there's a little bit of a misquote there. Uh, Ian Furness said, would it be an ideal situation to bring back both Gino and Drew? And he said, yeah, it would be ideal. Like, I, it would have felt different to me if John had said it would be ideal if we could bring back, you know, Drew Locke. Like, I think that was kind of placed. Still, I expect them to do exactly that. And I won't go off on a tirade about why I think that's such a stupid waste of money. I've done that before, but so be it. If the first two signings of this offseason are Jason Myers to the second highest quarterback or kicker contract and then Drew Locke to like an eight million dollar backup quarterback deal, I'm going to like have trouble. I will have trouble. I'm just going to oh, man. The discourse is going to be so bad because there, there's already this weird thing where no one's given up like uh, the discussion from the preseason. Like I, I saw people um, saying that we should put Drew Locke in uh, in the end of that Niners game because like it's just like muscle memory i think just people are so used to like they they prime themselves so much to go into this that season with it's drew lock it's drew lock versus gino drew lock's gonna be the starter right and if they sign him to like eight million dollars a year and it's the next one if they sign him before gino oh my god oh my god i, I need to spend a couple seconds on this with all of you because evan's not here this week so we can have an actual like some chance of a reasonable discussion on this I'm still just really confused. Maybe it's exactly what you said, Nathan, that people had their priors or they got in on Gene, uh, on Drew. I am like, it boggles my mind how many people are Drew Locke stands. Like, this is a guy I'm going to defend vigorously on Twitter and to the point of like, yeah, we should just roll with Drew Locke next year. He's a better option. And what I've pieced it together, as far as I can tell, is 
a lot of these people believe that Pete, Pete Carroll is a system scheme designer that's quarterback friendly. And that the reason they feel that way is because Geno Smith came out of nowhere to be good. And Russell Wilson went from here to, to Denver and was terrible. And so that means that Pete's the reason that quarterbacks are playing well. And so Drew Locke is just the next obvious, like, it doesn't matter. We could go sign John Kitten out of retirement and he would just be fine because Pete's made a, like, we could take Chase Daniel off the Chargers or like whoever else and we'll be fine. Pete, Pete Carroll, the defensive minded coach. Yeah. Who can't feel the defense to save his life. I don't yeah. know. Right. <laughs> Hey, you know, uh, Mark Sanchez, great at USC, decides to come out. Pete gets all huffy, says it's a bad call. Who was right? Who was right? <laughs> who was smart and who was dumb? Uh, Matt Liner. Matt Liner. <laughs> Pete Carroll, quarterback whisperer. Is that so? Is that where we are? Is that where you guys, uh, joking aside, is that where you honestly think about like, is Pete a true like quarterback coach? Is that where we've come after all the years of Pete versus Russ <laughs> that now the take is like, Oh yeah. Pete will elevate any quarterback in his system. No, I don't, no. I don't think so. I think we have a lot of tangible examples of that being not true. Um, Charlie Whitehurst, uh, Hasselbeck. I don't know. I wouldn't say that he was worse after he left and wasn't particularly good here uh in pete's here um and uh you know t jack continued to be a pretty pretty middling quarterback um because I, I can't remember a single name uh i mean he was an undrafted guy but the dude from josh TCU, portis. who yeah. josh portis yeah also josh portis uh uh yeah i i i, I don't know i don't know that, that seems Matt like a stretch Flynn. yeah Flynn, yeah that was the only yeah i i we won't spend a ton more time on this, but, but the other thing that is bizarre to me is I also think that that's really selling Gino's year short. I don't think that what made Gino good this year was the scheme. I think the scheme wasn't like a problem, but Gino was kind of like a completion over expected God for most of the season. Most of the season he led the league in that stat. And that is largely based off of completing passes that, are tight window, tough throws. Like if you think about like what made Gino great this year, there was a lot of dimes where he just dropped it in a bucket from 30 or 40 yards or zipped it by. Like there were early in the season, some wide open drop off kind of throws, but there weren't a lot of those, at least from my perspective. So I didn't see the scheme like making Gino Gino this year. Did you guys, any of you feel, and this becomes really important for how much you're going to pay. So I'm just kind of curious. Jeff, what about you? Or Dana, go ahead. Oh, no, it's it's fine. I, I mean, I was just going to say no. I, you get a feeling that, um, and I, I've talked to a couple of people who have said this, and they said it to me at the beginning of the season, and I kind of laughed at them. But they're like, no, Gino was talented when he has, you know, some playmakers around him. I'm like, well, you could say that about anybody. You know, it just kind of blew it off. But it's true. I, I think that Gino deserves a lot of credit. He sat there. He learned exactly what Seattle liked to do for all those years sitting behind Russell. And he learned what worked and what didn't for Russell. And I think that he just, you know, sat there and absorbed all that and then took the arm talent that he had and used it to his advantage for sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, I could take us into a conversation about yet again, what to pay Geno Smith, but we've talked about that so much and we will talk about it again and we will not spend more time in this episode discussing it. Although, you know, it's always tempting because that debate will rage on until that gets figured out. So let's turn our attention to free agency, which is what we said we were going to start by talking about. And before we get into this year's free agent crew crop, I wanted to ask you all philosophically, how do you think about free agency from a team building perspective? And I'll give you a few examples. You can riff off of these or go off on your totally own direction. But for example, do you see it as a place to find foundation core players that are long-term starters for you? You know, is it a place you look to find blue chip players? Is it a place you look to find complementary players? Is it a place you look to like find stop gaps, one or two year kind of guys that just fill, fill a hole? How do you think about free agency? And I'm not talking about your own guys. I'm talking about bringing in new guys um, to the team. And and Jeff, I wanted to start with you uh, on that on that question. Yeah, um, I think from like a team building standpoint, I don't believe it's a place you should be looking for blue chip players. I think that is they tend not to hit the market. If they do, there's usually a reason for it um, with the franchise tag and. You don't see a lot of like superstars in the market. So I'm more of a believer in using it to complement the draft. I think a lot of the teams that go like draft only or free agency only, like the thing with the free agency only, it's sort of like patching holes. And then eventually like the band, like the Tim Ruskell end of the Tim Ruskell era, they went heavy on building free agency. And then two years later, all of a sudden you're old and slow, like Tampa Bay. Like you saw what happened with Tampa. They got old real quick. So I'm not a believer in building through free agency. I think you have to supplement. But I think of looking at the teams that are still playing, I think there's been a lot of examples where you can't just use the draft as your only form of acquisition. So Cincinnati did DJ Reader, Mike Hilton, and Trey Hendrickson the last two years to pair with those good drafts. Philadelphia got Hassan Reddick last year, and they've had good success building. And then Kansas City has done a really good job where they've added a lot of veteran free agents over the years. And whether it's been Juju at receiver, they have Carlos Dunlop on their defensive line. And I think it's a really good thing where you have to kind of pair both of the, and the teams like green Bay that have been draft only they've had, they've kind of wasted the end of this Aaron Rodgers window. So I think it's really important that you're using both together, using both in tandem. And you saw what the Seahawks would be in this era, the most of their core was built through the draft on defense and they supplemented it with Averill and Bennett and it really pushed that unit over the top. And that's clear what's going on with Cincinnati right now. So I think you have to use both and a lot of that's more of a thing that's becoming prominent, but I, I wouldn't be searching for like core core players there. I think it has to be supplemental. I, I love a lot of that. I Nathan, before I throw it to you, I have to bring up like you talked about Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett. Those were both the best things that could have happened to the Seahawks and the worst. It's almost like a Geno Smith level thing where now it's like, everyone's like, we just need our Cliff, a Cliff Averill, Michael Bennett free agent signings. Those will never, ever happen again. People don't understand or forgot that was post lockout. There was an absolute or that was pre lockout. Actually, I think is what it was. There was a super depressed free agent market. People were not getting deals. Cliff Averill signed a two year 
13 million dollar contract as someone who had had like double digit sacks for many years with detroit michael bennett got signed in like the second or third week of free agency maybe it was like the second wave i should say second or third wave of free agency at one year 4.8 million dollars because he couldn't get his value and he just wanted to get back in the market that will never happen again we will never get players of that caliber for that cheap. That doesn't mean we won't get good players. Like Jeff brought up a lot of good examples. Trey Hendrickson was not signed for one year, $5 million, you know, or anything close to that equivalent. Um, so I don't believe that those types of deals are too frequent. Um, but Nathan, I'm kind of curious, like you and I were talking before the show about how you're thinking about free agency. I'd be curious what, what you'd, what you'd share now. Yeah. I, uh, I just don't get too excited about free agents anymore because you know, if you go back and look at all the guys that we talk about, um, I don't think many of them turn out to be really difference makers. Um, you know, there's two guys on the list, uh, this year, Robert Quinn and Yannick Ngakwe that I think people were probably really excited about it two, three years ago, whenever they were free agents. And, you know, Quinn had like, I think one really good year and then he's been kind of up and down and Ngakwe has been okay, but he hasn't been this amazing guy that, you know, people wanted to, to, you know, drop a dump truck of money on him. So I, I think the idea of it being supplemental and I think the idea of finding, you know, guys like uh, uh, Nuosu, right, who you, you don't make a big commitment to, but, you know, have some upside and, um, you know, can maybe be a nice contributor. But like Nuosu is not a guy that you're going to build a defense around. He's a he's a great guy to have as like the fourth player on your defense. So I think that's how you have to look at free agency. Um, and I think Jeff hit it on the head. And I, I've seen a lot of other people like I, I know Justice Mosqueda. Uh, talks about this a lot, right? There's a reason these guys didn't get re-signed by their team for the most part. There's there's weird scenarios where like the Cliff Averill thing was weird. Michael Bennett, you know, I think he had an injury thing on top of it, and so they they you know that was something that Seattle was willing to risk. But for the most part, teams have enough ability to keep the guys they want to keep that you know these guys get out into the market for a reason. Dana. I went to the, the, the boys first because I, I think you have a different perspective on this. You know, mm -hmm. you, you talk about that. There's a lot of talk about the draft, but you, you see the value in free agency. I, I'm curious how you think about it. Well, I do. I, I think that I actually agree with a lot that Nathan and Jeff said. I think that it's not something you can build your whole team on. You just can't afford to do that, right? Especially with the way the money has been flowing the last couple of years. But then I think about, I always think about Cliff and, and Michael Bennett too, but I also think about Dwayne Brown who came in, he wanted out of his team that it wasn't that the team didn't want him necessarily. He wanted out. And, and I think that, that him coming to Seattle revitalized him for a couple of years. He was a fantastic player for a couple of years. So I think of more free agency, more like players like that, even, um, even Dunlap when he came to Kansas or to Seattle, he was so excited and he now he's in Kansas city and playing well, but you can tell he's at the end of his career. You know, it's like, so that's where I think of more of free agency. I'm not looking for a superstar. Now, would I sell the entire team for miles Garrett? Yeah, I would. Sorry. I would spend, <laughs> I would send all the money to Cleveland to do that. But that's not logical. It's not, you know, it, it's not something that's going to happen because, you know, unless the player really wants out, then you have to trade from him and his a hundred or what is it? $125 million contract. So no, that's not logical, but 
I just think those players that bring in a presence, they don't have to be the blue chip players. I think you find your blue chip players in the draft. I think that's where you find those pieces, but it's those, those players that can bring leadership that bring a little strength to the position, whatever position it may be, and just bring um, kind of grounded a little bit. I don't really know how to explain it. Although I see it in my head, it's like they come in and they fill the position. They're the smart vet. They're teaching some of these younger kids how to play better. And yet they do make an impact, not a Miles Garrett impact, but they do make an impact on the team. And I think free agency is really important for that. But I don't want to discount digging for some of those players that maybe are coming off an injury and people are a little worried about, or, you know, looking at those players that just, like I said, want out of their team or their team is nowhere near contending and they want to go somewhere that is, and is willing to, they want a certain dollar amount, but is not willing to, you know, they're not trying to rob a bank. Yeah. I think those are all great, great additions. I, I think the other piece here is, at least for me, the philosophy changes based on where you are in your building, uh, your roster uh, process. And so, you know, when you're at a point like the 2012 Seahawks coming out of that season really were a, a pass rush away from being a Super Bowl like favorite. And so they went in knowing that they were going to go after the best pass rushers that they could get period. And that makes a lot of sense in that situation. Even if you have to spend top dollar to do it, that makes sense. They're not in that situation this year. This is not a team that's like a a player away or two players away and, or even a position group away. So in these types of situations, I look at, first of all, where's their depth in the free agent market? Similar to how I look at the draft, where is there like a number of good players that are worth looking at because other teams that are desperate will spend money on the best of those players, but then you start filling up rosters and then there's potentially some good guys left over for you to get at a more affordable rate. So that's one. Two, I do look at free agency to be a good stopgap, like a, a, an insurance policy. So in a situation where you do want to get younger and you do want to get better, but maybe the draft is thin. Or maybe you don't want to just totally rely on only rookies to be in that position. Then I think it's good to get stopgap veteran free agents at super affordable, super short contracts. Um, Al Woods is a great example of something that can go really right where you're getting guy in his mid thirties and he's one year and he's two and a half million dollars or whatever they signed for initially. And he completely outpaid that contract. And the Seahawks have done that multiple times. Tony McDaniel was like that. I would even say Ataba Rubin was like that. Like there've been a number of Colin Cole was kind of like that. So there's been some of those. Then there's also position groups that I trust more. I will never want the Seahawks to ever, 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 at least as long as Pete and John are here, I don't want them ever sign at a free agent corner ever again. Like that's never worked. And, and so I, that's a position I'm not interested in. Um, Positions that I do think are interesting, I think offensive line, if you look at the hit rate on offensive linemen and free agency, I think there's a lot more of those that you end up feeling good about. Not all of them, but a lot of them. I think defensive line is a little bit more variable, but I think it's also, especially defensive tackle, run stuffing defensive tackles tend to be pretty good. And then it gets like, it gets a little more dicey after that. So like, I think there's a few positions I feel better about. Um, and then there's others that uh, I don't like wide receiver. I'm pretty sketchy about. I don't know if I want us to sign any free agent wide receivers. So, uh, okay. 
I did look back at Seahawks free agent signings for the last decade. Does anyone remember that we signed Alden Smith? Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's some interesting I ones. Totally here. forgotten that. I, totally I mean, forgot it. I go back and look at this list. I mean, there's names like Jason Jones, who is kind of a halfway contributor for a little bit as a defensive end. People might not remember him. There are guys like um, Breno Giacomini, who was a multiple-year starter, right? He was helpful. Uh, Raheem Brock was a guy early on. He was a 10-sack guy for them, signed on a one-year contract. But there's also the Matt Flynn's. Um, there were guys like... I want to give you guys a trip down memory lane. Um, Antoine Winfield, obviously that didn't work out. There was Clinton McDonald was an interesting one. Again, like lower price, second or third wave of free agency. He came back. Tony McDaniel, we talked about. Uh, Sidney Rice was a guy the team went out and spent a lot of money on. Um <laughs> Uh, Kevin Williams, you may or may not remember Eric Winston. You may or may not remember, uh, Tony Moyaki, uh, like there's not a lot like Fred Jackson. You look at some of these names and Bradley Sowell, uh, Jamarcus Webb, like there's been a lot of variability to how much the team got out of what Jari Evans. Um, <laughs> so Luke Jokel. So I guess I look at the Seahawks free agency in general. I can't, we had Dwight Freeney on the team for some period of time. I, that is like crazy. He to was me. like, he was good too. He had like three sacks and three games and they cut him. It was so weird. You're right. That was like, yeah. DJ Fluker, um, Sebastian Janikowski, like the best special teams tackler of all time. Um, Mikey Potty. So Ziggy Ansa, uh, a fan favorite. So, Jeff, knowing that you've looked at the free agent market, I, I want to start with you. Is there a position group? Is there names that jump to your head of your list of like, these are guys I think the Seahawks should really be thinking about? Um. Well, yeah, I think there's a couple. Some of them are by circumstance and some of them are just based on what the market's going to play. And usually I'm pretty against this one position for what you were saying before uh, linebackers, a position that I really think is a position off ball linebackers a position. I would almost heavily go in the draft. You can get younger legs and get faster, but the Seahawks situation is super bleak right now. Uh, Brooks is coming off the ACL and all of their other contributors at line off ball linebacker are free agents. Cody Barton, Tanner Muse is restricted. Even John Radigan. So they're going into next year with Brooks, who's we don't know when he'll be ready, and then that's it. So my big fear is that they're going to re-sign Cody Barton, overpay him a little bit out of desperation, and we could argue all day about him. But looking at that position group, there's actually a lot of interesting guys. And I saw Brian put out a tweet about that, and when I went through like the, the list, there was a lot of names, which, again, it's a position that historically doesn't get paid. So – there's like a guy, Tremaine Edmonds in Buffalo. He's going to get big money. So Seattle should not look at him. But there's a group of like 30 and under level players that I think because of the position depth and free agency, 
you actually might be able to find a decent sweet spot. So there's a guy, Jermaine Pratt, who's been starting linebacker on the Bengals. Uh, David Long Jr., he's on the Titans. Alex Singleton on the Broncos. Bobby Okariki, who was on the Colts, who was drafted, I think, one pick where Barton was. One of those guys, I would much rather, or even Leighton Vander Esch, who's closer to 30s, had some injuries. I think just I, I rattled off a lot of names there, but I think there's a lot of names in a position that historically isn't paid. I think you might be able to sort of find that value where Brian was talking about earlier with Abram and Bennett, where I would much rather kind of upgrade the spot, maybe pay one year $5 million, one year $4 million, instead of bringing back Barton. Because I don't think you can go into the draft with Brooks and Barton and that's it. I kind of hope they add a player that upgrades him and then add a draft pick and hopefully Brooks can come back and then you have three linebackers to compete for inside. So I wouldn't be surprised if they re-sign Barton because they'll be cheap, but I would rather look at one of those names because I think we talked about the front seven talent all year. They're super bleak right now inside linebacker. We said that last year when Brooks was healthy. So it's a pretty disastrous position. So it's good it kind of lines up with one of the few strengths of this free agent class. I, I'm with you on that. And one of the other things John Schneider said today that was, I thought, a little bit revealing was, you know, you saw the 49ers in that game. They were who we used to be. He said that. And he said they were fast, strong, and tough. And that's where we need to, we know, we. he also said, we know what we need to do. And that game just reinforced it. Now we just got to go do it. It's hard for me to imagine he's going to look at Cody Barton and say he's fast, strong, and tough. Like that that's part of the solution. I, I know that there, there's a good reason. I think they may like John Radigan more than people realize. They might try to give him a chance. But I don't see any way that the Seahawks do not sign, that they go into the draft without signing additional veteran outside the organization inside linebackers. And I think that there's a lot of good ones to choose from. You mentioned some of them. I think Alex Singleton to me, like played on a one and a half million dollar contract this year for, for Denver. He had a rep of being only a run stopper. God forbid we only had a run stopper at linebacker at this point, but he played well in coverage this year. He's going to get more than that. He's 30 years old, but he, so he's not going to get a huge contract. I think he's interesting. And, you know, Aziz Alshire, the 49ers linebacker, is going to be a free agent. Um, uh, there's some interesting – I think David Long is one that I definitely have my eyes on. I think Jermaine Pratt will end up getting probably more money than the Seahawks are willing to spend. He would be amazing. But David Long is – I, he is a really good run stopping linebacker that also is athletic and fast and I think might be an interesting fit for them. So that's, that's one I have my eye on. Nathan, is, is there a position group where you're looking at it also could relate to the draft where you're seeing weakness in the draft and you think they should look to solve in, in free agency or have some veteran support given that you have some hesitation on the free agent front and, and, and what that can mean, are there places you feel more comfortable? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think it's linebacker. I agree. Um, I, I don't know that they're going to be as down on Cody Barton as everyone else is, but you also have to take into, you know, Jordan, uh, into account Jordan Brooks's, uh, injury. So, um, I, I don't know if it'll be a, a bigger ticket guy like David Long, but that's, that seems like it's the spot that makes the most sense, right? Like, um, I don't know, just kind of running through some of these like edge rusher. Uh, I, I don't know that there's anyone there that's like really exciting um, and fits what they want to do. 
Um, maybe some, like, I think it's going to be mostly a lot of these filler type guys, um, you know, Uchenna Nwosu type signings at, at the, at the biggest. Um, but yeah, there's nothing here that really like jumps out to me as like, oh yeah, that's, that's a great fit or that's the guy that's going to like, you know, they really can plug him in and, and he could take that, you know, he could really help them. I, I just don't see that outside of really that linebacker spot. Yeah. I mean, really quickly talking about edge as free agent market, <clears throat> I'm going to run down, not all these names, but just a few of them. This is like, you're talking about Robert Quinn, who's 33, Yannick Ngakwe, who I think is actually a decent comp for Daryl Taylor pass rusher that can't stop the run. I'm not sure you need another one of those. And you're gonna uh, you'd be putting him in front of Daryl Taylor, in front of Mafe, and potentially probably. in front of a Will Anderson or a um, you know whoever else you might draft to play that spot. Miles Murphy or yeah, there's a bunch of edge. There like edge is the deepest part of this draft. I think it would be a big mistake. Other names here: Jadavian Clowney, Samson Ebucom, uh, you know Arden Key, Melvin Ingram, who's like 75, Justin Houston, who's like 85. Marcus Davenport's interesting, but I think will be way overpriced. Um, bring, bring back, back the dynamic, dynamic duo of yeah, Rasheem Green and Carlos Dunlap. Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, the the this is uh, this is funny considering my reaction at the time, but I think the one I'm most interested in on the edge list is Bruce. Interesting. Well, I mean, I get it. I get it. Um, I mean, Charles, like there's, there's like complimentary guys. I don't think that they need a complimentary. They have complimentary. They finally guys. have those guys. Like I wrote about it in the article okay. today. Like they have three, finally three, like 27, all ascending players at edge. They have Nuosu, they have, they have Mafe and then they have Taylor. Really all they need is like the draft pick in there. There's no reason to spend there. The defensive tackle or the three, four end type. Maybe look at that. But Edge, it seems like they finally, like, how many years have we ripped on them for their idiotic handling of that position? They finally have a sustainable thing going here, which is nice. Because every year they were like, oh, we're going to go with Benson Mayo this year. Like, we figured it out. <laughs> oh, we're going to try to get Clowney back. And if we don't, we're going to panic. Remember when it, Benson Mayo was the next Chris Clemens, according to John? Uh, yeah. There, there are some interesting there's at least a couple names here that are sticking out to me as second draft type guys where you know you take a shot at a guy that didn't work out on his rookie contract but you know you thought he was interesting as a prospect maybe you give him a better situation use him differently so like uh i don't know if chase winovich i think he did he get traded or did he actually hit the market already um but he's still he youngish um ben banagu is a guy he came out the same year as lj collier um so these are you know guys that you could pick up and you know if if you wanted something other than uh daryl johnson or something like that right or, or or bruce you know if you're looking at a younger upside play yeah well the other person that john mentioned was tyreek smith who was part of the draft class and spent the year on ir and they are fond of as an edge player so he's gonna get a shot i just it is hard for me, Dana, to imagine that they're going to sign any edge free agents. I think that that's a position they'll look at in the draft. It's so deep there. It feels like it would be a bad place to invest. Agreed. I, I think that they that that's not the logical spot. Linebacker really is a logical spot. What I'm hoping that they don't do 
outside of center is look at any free agents on the offensive side of the ball. Like I don't want a free agent wide receiver. I don't want, you know, I think our line for the question marks that it had toward the end of the season actually is fine. I don't think that they need to look at that. The, the only really, I think that the, the players that they'll probably pick up maybe on that is their own players, but it just means makes more sense on defense. And where do you need on defense? You need it in linebacker, but the, the draft, I mean, everywhere you look, when you read about the draft, it's all about, you know, the edge rushers. So I don't think that they'll bother with that. And I love that you gave the little nod to Bruce, Nathan, because here's the interesting thing. Think about the impact that Bruce had in, and he's in his late thirties and came in. I mean, it wasn't a huge impact, but it was good. So what if you had someone who wasn't in their late thirties and someone who actually could just do just this little bit better, but maybe is more raw. I, I think that they'll be able to find that in the draft. I don't think that they'll need to go pay anybody for that. I, I think that the interesting, it, like it, it came up in the early Seahawks where guys like Chris Clemens and God, I miss Chris Clemens. Uh, those, they, they would get so frustrated about how everyone would get excited about the rookies. And like, they're like, these guys don't know how to play yet. Give me veterans, mm -hmm. know what gap they're supposed to be in, know how to play. And when we had those younger players, Frank Clark learned to rush behind Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett. And some of those people had people like the Daryl Taylor has who to learn from on it's this team about pass rushing like nobody so i do think bringing in someone like that would be great i just don't know that that makes sense this time i mean the other two areas that are interesting to me free agency wise are guard offensive guard and defensive tackle those are the two spots for me that are worth talking about i don't know and jeff you might i don't know cap cuts on the offensive guard side there might be some, I think Tampa might have somebody that's interesting if I'm remembering right, but I, I haven't d dug in deeply on the guard market, but like, you know, John Feliciano, Trey Turner at one point was like an interesting guard. He's really crashed and burned in Washington, but he might be interesting. Um, you know, there's a, there's a decent, we have an old friend on this list. Ode Abushi. <laughs> Bring him home. That well, I don't know. Jeff and I could finally get Will Hernandez on the Seahawks. That, <laughs> that uh, he's only like you know, how old is he now? He's only twenty eight. But uh, I don't know. That might be a spot. Nate Davis is kind of an interesting name. Play with the Titans, a Mauler kind of guy. Um, so that might be a spot. David Edwards for the Rams had some years, but he's super young, but has been pretty shitty too. So I don't know. Is there anyone on the guard market that interests you, Jeff? Uh, not right now. Not really. Um, you got to hope that there's a cap cut. It's kind of a thin, thin market. Um, there's not, there's not even the good guys with like flyers. So I think Sumalo on uh, the Eagles, his contract's going to avoid. He's a really good player, but I think it'll cost a lot, but see, I needs it's a like it's not a talked about weakness but right guard was a huge problem area for them this year and gabe jackson's gonna get cut his salary is 11.2 million dollars that clears out seven or six million dollars so bill haynes a free agent so they gotta do something there so what i probably suspect is they'll probably just sign haynes to a cheaper deal and as a hedge and then go into the draft but it's so it's a really weak free agent crop guard and receiver are the two weakest part on the market yeah, I, I agree. Um, What's the story I, with Laurent DuVernay-Tardif? 
he was a, a quality player for Kansas City just a couple of years ago, right? But yeah, he so, went to go be a doctor. He's a Canadian guy. He took a couple mm-hmm. years off to be a doctor during COVID. Doctor. And mm-hmm. he has he, not been the same kind of physical player since he played about the Jets mm-hmm. last year. But you take a couple I years off. I don't think off. his heart is in it. I think he was in it, you know, just to kind of get him through school. And yeah, his heart just doesn't seem to be in it at this point. So I have a question for you guys about this, though. Yeah. So I mentioned center because you guys always bitch and moan about the centers, which fair enough, understandably, totally get it. I'm not finding much in the center market, to be quite honest with you, in free agency. But is that something that's even worth looking into? And would that then improve the guard play? Because guard is so questionable. Nathan looks so excited. Oh, look at him. Answer that question. Well, Dana. Did you know, I think, I think, Uh, I don't know if the end of the season, but one of PFS, I think, like top three centers. (sighs) Is a free agent and should be affordable, and he is a you say, hometown. Ethan Post, like I'm going to punch you in the head. <laughs> Bring him home. No! Bring him home. <laughs> Bring him back. <laughs> Resurrect Rashad Penny. Fix Kenneth Walker. Get this run game going again. Bring back Ethan Post. It's not great. <laughs> yeah, I, they're, they're going to sign Blythe. I think there's a really good chance of that. Look, I think, I think that Fuller, they're not going to rely on Kyle Fuller. Blythe is an unrestricted free agent. I don't think they'll go into the draft with no centers on the roster that they're comfortable with. So I think it's highly likely that they're going to get some vet and Blythe is the most likely the question is how much they commit to him. And hopefully it's not much, but he's not part of getting bigger, stronger, tougher bigger, faster, tougher. Like he's just not. And, and I just hope they really like, they're really thinking about that and not just saying that because they do need to do all of those things and mainly the bigger and the tougher and middle of that line was mushy. Out out of curiosity, can anyone name the Niners starting center? Isn't he like a rookie? He's a, no, he's a free agent. He's a free agent this year. I remember Mm -hmm. reading that. I can't remember his name. Is it um, Daniel Brunskill? Oh, yeah. I thought he played guard, but no. No, Brendel, something Brendel. Oh, Oh, Jake Jake Brendel. Yeah, yeah. he's a free agent. Is he he bigger, stronger, faster? I mean, does he fit the criteria? (laughs) I'm just saying, if the Niners are the the big, they're the monsters, like, I don't know. Are are they monsters at center? I don't think a lot of teams are are like that there. No, I, I just. Well, one, I don't think the 49ers are a good example of uh, an offensive line outside of Trent Williams that you're wanting to emulate. Um, I just think there's so many good centers. Like, there's good centers to be had in this draft. Um, So that's what I'd love to see. But they've never done it. So who knows? Um, I I do, just from a time perspective, I want to switch gears for a second. I want to talk about a couple other positions, and we'll get to patron questions. I will say that there's a couple positions that are interesting to me here. One is Nathan's favorite. I think running back is something that there's actually quite a few names that could be interesting. I don't know what Donta Foreman will get if he'll get like featured back money. I think he played really well for the Panthers. He's a no, no chance. I don't think so, right? Um, depending on what that position group, it's loaded. It's loaded. It really is. There's a lot of good names. I'd be fine with Rashad Penny coming back. I don't know that you can just totally rely on it, but he should be super cheap. 
and on a short-term deal. Jamal Williams is like, like there's a lot of names that are interesting there. I wouldn't be surprised if the Seahawks nab. I would rather them pay a few million for a rotational running back than spend one of their draft picks <laughs> on a running back. Is my my personal like I'd rather not sink a draft. You, pick you know, you know what I would pay money to see. What's that? Nathan's reaction if Seattle picks up Saquon Barkley. I just want to watch it. Like I just want to watch it like a little camera in the corner and he'll be all like this stoic but seething inside and it would be hilarious. It would make would me real happen, Nathan. I would be seething with him. That would be really <laughs> I know. Weird. Oh, I would be too, but I'm just saying it would be It fun. would be funny. It would be, It'd funny. be a hell of a lot better than drafting Kenneth Walker last year. <laughs> You say the weirdest shit sometimes. <laughs> I, I am way more in favor of blowing some cap space. Again, I'm not a big fan of like free agents, so I don't think you need to save all this to go get your, your big star or whatever. So yeah, give Saquon Barkley, I don't know, whatever he's going to make. What I don't even know. Uh, if they gave him like $20 million, I, I'd freak out about that. But like, uh, and yeah, use your, your high draft picks on actual positions of value. I think that's that's better. I we will not spend any time here in free agency, but there are some interesting safeties. And and if we didn't have as much money as we have spent there and we if we got rid of some of those guys, there's some interesting names there. I don't think the Seahawks will go there. And then I don't the know. I mean, can they can they not go there? Do they roll it back? Because I think that they should assume that, you know, best case is probably Jamal on the pup to start the the season sounds like it so they're just gonna roll again with Diggs and neil and uh jonathan abram maybe well, he's <laughs> like, an un, un, unrestricted free agent i think so I, I don't know like again there are some i i don't think i don't know that one uh, dana you could tell me here how one thornhill has has performed i don't think he's been stellar has he um, he's inconsistent, but he has some pretty good moments. Yeah, so he is, has is some he good a, moments. Yeah, is he a guy that kind of might slip through and a guy you could snag or, you know, again, some of these kind of second draftish type guys, I think they're going to have to get some With some of the other names that are out there for safety, yeah, I could see we're here. But I, w- I would be shocked if, if Kansas City didn't bring him back but um, because he has played well for them at the end. But, yeah, he's pretty inconsistent, so – yeah, I mean, guys like Tayshawn Gibson, who are older and will be super cheap, but have been pretty impactful um, and, and playmakers for like the 49ers. I think there's a there's a lot of interesting names on the safety market. Top, top, top of the market has some really interesting names, but they're not going to go there. Um, the last position I would just call out is interior defensive line. So we know that they've got to get they've got to get going there. There's a fair number of names that are interesting there, Jeff. You talked about some of them. One of the ones that you brought up that I I like is um, Greg Gaines um, from the Rams, former Husky, definitely more of a run stuffer, but has some pass rush in him and should not. He's definitely a rotational guy, not going to get top of the market kind of money. I also think Zach Allen's an interesting name. I don't know fit scheme-wise, but he has been – He's been pretty disruptive and I think is the type of guy that that could be an interesting fit for the Seahawks. But there's a there's a fair I mean even in you can go down to like like in that Lions Packers game, the best defensive player on the Lions arguably was Isaiah Bugs, 
who is their nose tackle. He was shit for most of that season. They gave up a ton of rushing yards, but he was moving people all over the field. He's a free agent. So like, there's a lot of guys on that defensive tackle market that it feels like it would be wise for the Seahawks to invest in. Is that how you see it, Jeff? Yeah. And the thing was when I dove a little deeper, um, the Seahawks have only four players like interior defensive line or three, four defensive linemen that are under contract. And one of them is Brian Monet, who's got a bad injury. And the other three are guys that have like clear, big cap savings if you cut them. So Shelby Harris is like 12 million. And I think they saved 9 million if they cut him. Uh, Quinton Jefferson is like 6.6 million. They, they save like 4.6 million if they cut him. And the same is for uh, Al Woods, who's like 5.4 million. They'd save like 3.8 million if they cut him. So I think they're going to transform this group, especially that Pete pointed out. Um, I think that's an area, if you need to create money, like all four of them, you can ax them all. And Jefferson's a guy like KJ Wright's talked about, hasn't fit the scheme. So that is a spot where I think they should go into free agency. Uh, draft is not a position where you're getting a lot of like proven defensive tackles to go up against these San Francisco guys. Like, so something like Zach Allen, or I think Gaines is a really good fit for them. He's played in this defense. They run the same defense in this system here. And I think he's like the perfect free agent for them. I think Dremont Jones from Denver, he's going to cost a lot. But I think he's a guy they should definitely look at investing in. But like they have so little uncertainty at that spot, given that Harris has such a big cap number. Woods is 35 years old. They need to basically transform the entire group. So they're going to need to use free agency, especially of how bad they were at run defense. So the money will be there. It's just a matter of what they can do. And I think they need to make big investments there. Deron Payne is a guy that a lot of people have talked about. I, I just don't see that he's top of the free agent market for uh, across the free agent market. He'll be a top five free agent, probably like not exclusively. Yeah. But like, he's going to get paid. I don't, I don't know that that makes sense for the Seahawks to go off and he, he's a good player. I don't think he's a player that I would want, even if they got excited about, it, I don't think I want them to sink top of the market free agent money in. Did anyone feel definitely, like- definitely a bigger, tougher guy though? He is hundred percent. He fits that, that bill. Ah, that much money feels like he's going to, he's going to get what? Like, $18 million, 17, something 18, like I think 18, I think the tags around $18 million. Yeah. That, they, they, they'll, they'll franchise tag him. Um, Carson Wentz's contract, I think clears like $20 million. So that essentially pays for a pain. Uh, all right. Um, one thing we should yeah, talk about here okay. is, is Puna gone? Do we see Puna play his last game in a CX uniform? Well, he is an unrestricted free agent. I think so. That's kind of sad. I don't know that it is. I mean, maybe, I guess, but we'll sad. Maybe that is sad or that no, that he's gone. gone. No, oh. it is sad. I like Puna Four too. You guys know I like that. Every time you guys would bring it up, I'd cringe a little about him leaving. But yeah, I don't think this was his strongest year, so they might dump him. But I think a lot of the cap stuff and who they keep and don't really, and we'll talk about this at length until it happens. But really comes down to if they can restructure Jamal Adams' contract. So which they will. I have to tell you before we go into patron questions without giving all the detail, I just got a text from my wife. If anyone was wondering about my reaction on air there, she's doing a webinar right now as well for work and they got zoom bombed. And I wish I could tell you what was on the screen. It, 
Oh my god. Uh Zoom bombing. That would be, I have to admit, when I'm bored next time, instead of going and getting like uh, cookies, maybe I'll just try to like Zoom bomb random things and start talking Seahawks and see how that goes. That would be maybe be more entertaining. <laughs> uh, okay. So let's switch over to patron questions. We've been at this already an hour. We should definitely get into those. There's a lot of good ones tonight. If you haven't already, please give the show a like. Uh, thumbs up. Appreciate it. Smash the like button, all those good things. Subscribe to the channel. Give us a five-star rating on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, any place you're listening to the podcast. Let us know why, and we'd love to hear about it. And then go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger, sign up, get immediate access to the Slack channel. It is the best place to be for the offseason. Constant conversation about what's going on. High, high, high quality of conversation. Not a lot of crap you have to wade through. You don't have to get you know, 49ers crap in there or other stuff you don't want to see. It's all Seahawks football plus Mariners talk and some other stuff. And there's probably a Kraken channel that I don't involve myself in, but that's okay. So go over there, patreon.com slash hawkblogger, sign up now and all the proceeds go to charity. So um, that's, that's a great thing as well. Dana, what questions are we going to answer tonight? Well, the first question is um, from Zach, and he said, should Seattle go after a big ticket defensive line option free agency in addition to drafting? And we think we've already kind of covered that. So that's good. Um, then Braxton has, in a previous presser, Snyder discussed contract negotiations and said that there's a number they've expressed to Gino's camp that they won't surpass. What is the maximum price per year that you'd give Gino? And I know that you said you didn't really want to talk about this, but Brian, just give the number. What's your number? The maximum for me is right around 30 million. Mm -hmm. I think that there, there's, there's been fair things brought up this week about why it's going to be 35. There's been, I think, valid reasons, and I'm more on this camp, why Seahawks, if they wanted to play hardball, could potentially get him for under 30. So I think realistically, I, he'll, he'll probably come in right around 30. Mm-hmm. Would you be mad at that? No. no, I'd be mad if they get much over that. I, yeah. I mm -hmm. as much as I like Gino, ultimately, I think people are underestimating how stupid uh, NFL GMs and coaches are in a lot of cases and how much of a stigma there is with being a backup for that many years and being kind of the butt of jokes. And then for these guys that literally have to bet their livelihoods, go in a press conference in front of the whole world and all their fan base and say, this is the guy that we're going to spend 35, $40 million a year on. And he's going to win us a super bowl. I just think there's a very small list of guys that have the, the guts to do that. Mm -hmm. So I, I think his market's going to be softer than maybe he or his agent realize. It's fair. All right. Jason A, he says, um, oh, we talked about this quite a bit. Which positions for which position or position should be shored up by a low cost, high value free agency addition as a hedge against being forced to reach in the draft? I think we covered that one pretty well too. Don't you think? I think that was pretty good. Thank you, Jason, for the question. Um, Let's see. Oh, I'm going to give this one to Jeff because I think I'm going to like his answer better than I would like Nathan's answer. So question, um, I 
think it's actually is what the, the name is. If Desai gets hired by another team, do you infer any kind of friction between him and Pete? I.e. the assistant head coach title seems to indicate he was going to be long term, but leaving after one year. And the second part is who would you hire to take his place? They said their choice choice is Marquand Manuel. Yeah, I, I don't think that Desai leaving would indicate any friction. I think if he's leaving, it's a clear promotion. Um, he's had a ton of defensive coordinator interviews. I even before the Seahawks hired him, he had like three or four last year, and he's he's been in he's into two more jobs now. He didn't get the Cleveland job, but Miami, Minnesota. So I think probably pay wise and probably just in terms of career growth, it's a clear step forward. Mm-hmm. than being the assistant head coach. I don't know why that is, but defensive coordinators do make more money. Um, who I would like, it's a weird spot where like they don't necessarily need to fill that spot. It's mm-hmm. more of like a luxury spot on a coaching staff where they tried to hire Ed Donatel, who was a disaster running the same defense with Minnesota. So I don't know if that's the guy you want to bring in to say, here's the veteran voice we need to run this defense when he couldn't quite do it himself. So it's more of a luxury spot. They have Carl Scott, who's an emerging defensive backs coach. They have Clint Hurd. I'd probably rather like a veteran coach who's called a defense to help Clint Hurd. But again, I don't see a lot of like friction. It's decides on a path. He wants to be a head coach. I think that's the next back jump in to be a defensive coordinator. Now, one Nathan, thing I want to, want... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I want to jump in really quick uh, to continue. There's one thing related to the question you asked me, Dana, that I think is a misnomer mm-hmm. out there for a lot of fans. A lot of are like, what are you talking about, Gino, at 30 million? There's no way he's worth that. He should get 20 million or like 18 million or whatever. I just want to quickly run through the quarterbacks' uh, salaries. Mm-hmm. So, Derek Carr, who Gino is better than this year, 40 million a year. Matt Stafford, who Gino is better than by a long way this year, 40 million a year. Dak Prescott, who is pretty much equivalent to Gino. 40 million a year. Then it goes down to Kirk Cousins, 35 million. Then it goes to Jared Goff, 33 and a half million. Carson Wentz got 32 million this year. Matt Ryan at 38 got 30 million this year. Ryan Tannehill at 35 got 30 million this year. Um, so I think people just don't really understand how much quarterbacks in this level are getting paid. He was a legitimate pro bowl quarterback. 30 million is, would be a pretty good deal. Um, if the Seahawks got him for that. Um, but I just wanted people to have a little more context. Uh, th- like the guys getting paid 20 million, you know, you're talking about like Marcus Mariota and, you know, I don't know. They get you get into rookies essentially at that point. So uh, backup quarterbacks, and yeah. he's not going to get a backup deal. Yeah, that's just what they cost. That's just what they are. So, yeah. All right, Nathan. This next one is for you. Um, it's from Robin. It says Peter in question. Um, why is Pete so stuck on this defensive scheme? Are there any teams in the last few years that are running it successfully? And then she wrote, "Admittedly, I know nothing about defensive schemes." <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it got, uh, Brandon Saley, a head coaching job. It got like Fangio, a head coaching job. Um, I think we're, uh, I think there's a couple things. I think we're probably getting to a point now where it's been in the league long enough that there are adjustments to it. And so it, it may not be quite the, the dominant thing. It does feel like they're, 
chasing a trend a little bit, but I think Pete talked about this in his presser, right? That he, he doesn't want to have the Fangio defense there. This is still going to be their defense, right? So um, I don't know that he's stuck on a, on a scheme right now. It still feels like a team and a defense is very, um, very much in transition and figuring out. And it feels like mm-hmm. Pete's trying to take some good ideas from the the meta right now and you know meld in his 103 years of experience in the sport um which we saw worked great sometimes and not so great sometimes and so i think you can be pretty optimistic about it and say you know they're figuring out they're learning they're still not a, a super talented team and you know give it a year or so and maybe the staff can come up with something that's the next you know, Fangio, the next cover three, the next Tampa two, right? Like these things come and go all the time and they're a little behind it right now, but it seems like they're trying to be creative about it and, and, and maybe create, you know, the next fad. That everyone will copy. That's right. Exactly. All right. So um, Mark asked a question about what Seahawks should do at interior um, linebacker. Um, we talked about that quite a bit, I think. Um, and then Brian, I'm going to give this one to you. Mark also asked, um, it, would there be any trade interest for Jamal Adams now? Should they trade Diggs instead and draft a free safety with a high pick? I don't think there'd be any trade interest for Jamal Adams. He's They talked about his injury being serious enough that he is going to be still rehabbing all the way up into camp. So to Nathan's point, he might be a PUP guy. Like People aren't going to trade for a hurt guy. Mm-mm. And so I think Jamal's here most likely. And people are just going to have to hope that not plan on him and hope that he's a positive. Uh, that That's, I think, where it is with Jamal. I think people should be ready for Jamal Adams to not play next year. I don't know if that's going to happen. Like due to injury or because yeah. he'll get cut or? No, no, injury. Like he, okay. he could just end up going from pup to IR or, or just not playing at all. I mean, like, you know, IR right away. I, I, I don't know. Like it, there's, it's not for sure. Right. But people should be ready for him to not play a snap of football uh, next season. His, his injury was pretty severe. That is true. It's a, it's an injury that has ended careers in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, you know, he's getting good medical treatment and recovering and he's young and all that. But yeah, I mean, I think it's very realistic that he doesn't, it, it, it seems most likely that he'll at least miss six to eight some weeks. Um, he may not play at all or or he may come back, but it's kind of a Trey Brown situation where he takes a long time and kind of never really gets on the field, you know, because he's still working through it. It's fair. All right. Um, Jeff, this is from Zach. What is your over under on starting defensive players at the end of this year starting for us next year, week one? He says it's seven in his opinion. Seven seems high. I'm going to go under on seven. Yeah. So let's see. Uh, Woolen, uh, Diggs, probably Ryan Neal, based on what Nathan just said. So what's that? Mike Jackson, probably. So probably the whole secondary comes back. Yeah. Woods, Harris. I think Harris will be back. Mm-hmm. Different deal. Is he, is he starting? Yeah. And then Nuosu, Bruce Irvin was starting, so not him. Yeah, I think it's going to mm-hmm. be like five, ga- five, six guys. Yeah. I'm going to go under seven. I think they're going to transform a lot of that front. And 
I think that you'll see a lot of the secondary back because of linebacker. You might see none back. And then outside of Chenna, like, I think they're going to turn over a lot. Yeah. So I'm going to go under. All right. Nathan Perry wants to know any defensive line vet cap casualties you could see us picking up like a Grady Jarrett or a Cam Jordan. And who would your dream pickup be? Again, feel free to say Miles Garrett because I'm just going to keep saying that until it happens. <laughs> just so you know. Um, so I, I think, I think they will find somebody. Um, I don't know what like a great gains is going to go for. Um, mm. I'm just looking through the list here. Uh, Sheldon Rankins, maybe. I don't think that really feels right. I mean, it'll be somebody in this Al Woods. Shy Tuttle. Ba- huh? Shy Tuttle. Sure. I don't really know a lot about Shy Tuttle. He's more, um, of, a, he's more of a pass rusher. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think I think think more like the run stuffer that they've gone out and they've been finding for for uh, Taba Rubens and all these type Jordan Phillips maybe I don't know one of those guys. All right, so Braxton no, wants. Right. Sorry, what? I don't have my heart set on anybody. That's for sure. No, yeah, <clears throat> me neither. Just kidding. Um, all right, so Braxton says, "Give us your hottest 2023 draft takes." I think that we're going to talk about the draft a lot over the next couple of weeks, so you'll probably hear a lot of those, Braxton. Um, then let's see. Oh, Brian, this one's for you. This is from Mark. Keeping all the hate aside, would Seahawks signing Brady for a year be really such a bad thing? Brady with K nine, DK Lockett, and a few capable tight ends is just what. He had with Tampa. Nobody better to play Pete Ball. No long-term commitment with a short contract. Draft a quarterback next year. And uh, <laughs> two things. One, we didn't answer Braxton's questions, but keep an eye out on hawkblogger.com tomorrow. He wrote yeah. a great article that is going to be out there for everyone to see. Uh, he's been a great contributor to the Slack channel as well. So uh keep an eye out on that then then on the brady i don't have like the tom brady hate thing i i I was tired of the patriots always winning and it went from frustration to just like begrudging respect for how friggin good he is so i'm not like i'm not like if it was aaron Rodgers, i don't want to see i don't want to watch him play i don't want him to be my quarterback if Tom Brady was the guy, I can think of worse things. I just don't think Tom Brady has any interest in coming to the Seahawks. I think the Seahawks are not a quarterback away from contending. Gino just makes a lot more sense. He's already established. He's already a leader in the in the locker room. Has more years left to play and should be at a price point that you can you can still build some other guys around him. So, um yeah, I, I don't. I don't think that there's going to be any chance of that happening. That the alternatives would more likely be like the Jimmy Garoppolo's of the world, um, uh, as opposed to the the Tom Brady's. We didn't talk at all about Lamar Jackson. Uh, we talked a lot about free agents. They're uh, never talked about quarterbacks. That was just, <laughs> I mean, does anyone have interest in in Lamar Jackson? I mean, we're talking about spending thirty million on on Gino, Lamar is going to be a lot more, but is like, 
if you're gonna go that high for Gino, are you would you rather go 40, 45, whatever for Lamar? No, the answer is absolutely not for me. Yeah, go ahead, Dana. <laughs> no, my answer is no too. I, I have no interest in doing that. First of all, I think it would have to be a longer term deal. And then it would be, you know, yeah, he's young, but he's always hurt. And I, I just don't think I don't think Lamar Jackson being a true free agent is a possibility. I think that the Ravens will probably tag him. And that makes the most sense if they can't get something done. Um, otherwise, let other teams fight over that contract because he obviously wants Deshaun Watson level money. And I have no interest in Seattle spending that on a quarterback with the way the rest of the team is. Yeah, if the defense was a little better and they were at a different point in their building, I could be really convinced into that. Just because a guy like Lamar is so hard to get. But to put themselves where you're going to have to spend like 40 to $50 million, give up two first round. He's going to cost two first round picks if he's tagged or if he's traded. So they're just at a point where they have so many holes just they would basically be back where they were with Russell Wilson with just a one better rookie class and a couple draft picks. Uh, I think if they were, if they had a defense in place, I would be all for it, but they're just not there. Yeah. Uh, somebody in, uh, in the chat said that Lamar is aged. Uh, I believe he is, he, he will be 20. He, he just turned 26. He's 27. Oh, he's 26. <laughs> I'm like, he's just a baby 26, still. January 7th. Yeah. So yeah, he's yeah. coming off his rookie contract. He's prime yeah. age. Yeah, reflects yeah. on I love you, but no, uh, Lamar is not aged. Right. All right, I'm going to answer this next one. This question is from KDB because I think a lot of people need to know this, and it's not necessarily about football. She wants to know why there are so many posts from Niners fans in her feed. She doesn't follow any of them. The Twitter gods are torturing him. Okay, so look at your Twitter, honey. Look at your Katie. Look at your Twitter screen. The top it's going to say for you, and the other one's going to say following. Ignore your for you page, hit following all of your normal people and we'll be there and all of those other people will go away. Okay, there you go. Even better advice. If you, I think if you click like your profile picture and then you go down Uh and you hit the log out button, (laughs) problem solved. Well, that's what Nathan did. (laughs) It's true. It's fair. That's a fair thing. All right. Nathan's had the healthiest Twitter usage of all of us. What? It's been great. It's been great. Uh, I'm legitimately annoying it. It's hard to keep up on on the news, but otherwise highly recommend. (laughs) All right. So this is from D Crockett. Um, Nathan, I'm sending this one to you. Will the team consider moving um, Curhan inside to guard full time? And a second question is assuming Gino resigns and let's say big four young Stroud, Levi and Richardson are all off the board at five. What other quarterback prospects would you like them to look at in later picks? Well, I've already professed my Stetson Bennett love. Uh, so I will, I will keep writing that. Um, uh, yeah. I don't have any other kind of mid round guys yet that I've fallen in love with, but uh, I do think, I don't know. I, it'd be interesting just to take a shot on Stetson Bennett. Um so the the question though was what was the other question? Uh, what was first? Oh, uh, will the team uh, consider Curran. moving current inside? Mm-hmm. Um, I would think so. I'm sure they already have. Haven't he already? He's kind of played both already, he right? Played mm-hmm. guard at times, yeah. Yeah, I, I want to say he's been worse as a guard, which is a little unexpected. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he'll continue to be a guy that they just kind of use all over the place barring him turning into something pretty impressive i mean he should get a good shot at right guard 
Um, I, I would, you would think he'd be in the competition for that this offseason. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think, I'll think they'll give him a try anywhere. Okay, Brian, I'm going to give you these next two questions together because they go together. So the first one's from Alexander, and he says, is Brock Purdy actually bad, or are we just Seahawks, are Seahawks fans just salty? And then um, Jay Brandt says, how do the Eagles beat the Niners, and why is it because Brock Purdy isn't good enough? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I wish I had better news for you, Seahawks fans. I, I think Brock Purdy is pretty good, and I think this there's, like, there's all sorts of people with different priors that they're trying to confirm i don't have any of those in this case like i wish i could tell you a, a strong story where i thought like brock Purdy is poised to fall on his face i've seen other quarterbacks for the 49ers under shanahan i've seen nick mullins i've seen like there's been guys that have gone through there that have played better under I, i'm a huge shanahan fan at like so I, I do believe that he makes it easier on the quarterbacks but Purdy just hasn't had a lot of turnover worthy plays for the most part. And he has been pretty accurate. He's been pretty resourceful. He has played well in tough situations where like backed up at the goal line and third downs. I think he's generally been pretty good. So I think barring injury, I think the 49ers have their quarterback for a while. Like I, 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 that's my current point of view. I would love to, to learn something different, but that's my point of view. I do think that the Eagles represent maybe the best chance to beat the 49ers. Um, especially if Patrick Mahomes is going to be hobbled, uh, and he's not able to play in the, the Super Bowl since they already beat the 49ers pretty badly. But with that defensive line, the pass rush that they have there and their coverage, their corners, I think there's a decent chance that the Eagles could find their way to win that game. But I don't think Purdy's I don't think I don't think Purdy is is a huge liability. I wish he was. All right. This is the last one. I'm gonna give this one to Jeff. This is a good one for Jeff. If you could create a realistic trade for one player, who would it be? And what would the compensation for both players in either contract? Yeah, the trading for a player or the Seahawks trading away a player? Um, it looks, it says four, trading for a player. Okay. I would give up one of the second round picks for Vita Vea. I think there's no player that the Seahawks could use more than that guy. Locally, pretty famous guy here, but just in terms of getting bigger, stronger, a guy who completely changes the look of a defense. Uh, like you could go years where you couldn't run the ball on Tampa Bay and they've switched to defensive tackles. And I don't like giving up second round picks and I don't like paying guys that much training for guys to pay defensive players. But to me, like the exact kind of guy they need, the big, the guy who impacts the way things are blocked. Obviously like another edge rusher, like Miles Garrett would have been a fun answer for Dana. But I think Vita Vea, if they want to be the team they want to be, having a guy like that where you don't need 35-year-old Al Woods and you don't need to be figuring out who your defensive tackle is every year, a guy like that just changes. Like when they went to the Super Bowl, no one could run on them for the entire season. And he's a pass rusher. He can toss guys around. And like you want to be that team to go up and play San Francisco, put a guy like that on your defense. So that would be my answer. I haven't thought about it much. I would like to trade for Debo Samuel as well and not pay an expensive cost. But um, yeah, I think that's my answer. 
I'd be real happy with Vita Vea too, not going to lie. <laughs> what would you trade for Jalen Ramsey? Now, I read that they, they might not have to trade for Are they on the block? Did they you think they, they're going to get rid of him? There's been rumblings. They, they, they have, they're very top heavy. They don't have a lot of draft picks. Would you give up 20 for <sighs> Jalen Ramsey? No way. No. Oh, come no on. The way. content. Jalen and DK on the same team. Come on. Come on. You might be worried. Is that. that absurd? Is that is that way too much? Or you just don't no, like it? I, 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 I think that that could be the right comp for a different team. I hate the notion that the Seahawks would try to shortcut almost anything with trading these draft picks for veteran players. There's almost nobody. There's almost nobody in no position. Even the Vita Vea thing. Like, I get where Jeff's coming from. I want them. I think this team is two to three years, like at least two years away from being like a true contender. And every shortcut they take has backfired for years after years after years. Draft, draft, draft. They've also traded for the wrong kind of player. Like they have not traded for offense, like Trent Williams, like when they trade for him. Like I think when they trade for a tight end who can't block and ask him to be a blocking tight end, they trade for a Swiss Army knife who can't cover and they trade for Percy Harvin who is like a really rare fit. Like they traded for defensive linemen and offensive linemen that capital. I don't know if we'd be having that same conversation or. If... So I, I agree with you, Brian. I just think the trades they made in the past have just been frankly stupid. Like they've traded for luxury pieces that are really. I think rare. that's fair. And there's yeah. a great one in the chat, Buda Baker, who would be on my list. Like he might be someone who's available and is a winner and young and physical and covers and yeah i mean there's no reason that arizona would trade ba baker though no no they're dire they have no talent i know but they, they might be they're tied to that yeah. kyler contract like you can't you can't rebuild now like you gotta well, they're trade trading hopkins mm -hmm. uh, arizona is a sneaky team they might trade back in the draft they they are very bleak roster wise yeah i think they're starting over yeah. So I agree. They probably won't trade Buddha, but like, I think he's, I, I don't think it's crazy. I, I think, I think they might look, if they could flip him for some draft picks. They what might. about like the Forrest Buckner? Would you trade like a third round pick for him? Well, maybe, probably. He's like an older player. The Colts if you're talking, Colts. if you're getting into the third round, then I start yeah. being much more comfortable. Okay. So that's the starting point. Top 60 mm -hmm. picks. I, like, oh my goodness. We need all of those players to be five year starters. <laughs> like, well, the, we have to close such a huge gap with other teams. I yeah. just, I, yeah. I that know. was a great question, Max. Obviously, got us yeah, talking. Yeah, yeah. So nice job. Yeah. Jalen Ramsey. All right. That's it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks everybody who submitted questions. We got through all of them this week. We wanted to take time. It has been a extra, extra edition of Real Hawk Talk. I want to thank, oh, actually, before we do this, let's get predictions for this week. If you guys are okay with it, who is going to make the Super Bowl? And, and uh, let's go one game at a time. NFC title game. Who will win? Nathan Ernst. Uh, I want to say the Eagles so bad, but I think we're going to have to sweat it out a little longer with the Niners. Dana. I think it's the Eagles probably by seven. Jeff. 
I think San Francisco is going to win, but I'm taking Philly. I can't do it. I can't take San Francisco. Really? Gosh, I just see Jalen uh, giving them fits. I, I'm all, I'm all in on Philly this year. I just trust their coach more. I trust okay. Kyle more. I think. You mean uh, future coach of the year? Stop Kyle it, Nathan. Yeah, we're we're not not about the with me. coach of the year thing. I know. I, we, we could no. talk about that. We could talk no. about the the rookies of the year stuff as well. <sighs> I I think the 49ers, I mean, everyone everyone is shitting on the Cowboys. Like that was the thing all week. All the Cowboys fans are like jumping ship. Everyone's like trying to trade Dak and they're like, it can't trade him. We're stuck. I'm like, I, whatever. I think the 49ers did not have a game to be super proud of there. And no, I think that, I think they're playing a, a significantly better team this week in Philly. In Philly, it's going to be a madhouse. I think the 49ers are the most talented team. I still, I still believe that. I think the Eagles have what they need. I think they'll be able to win this game. But it wouldn't shock me at all. But I'm going to pick the Eagles in that game. Um and like the 72 Dolphins, I will like pop a bottle of champagne as soon as the 49ers get eliminated. Absolutely. All right, AFC. Uh, it, I said it on Twitter. People hated me for it. I don't even care. I think it is one of the stupidest things I've ever seen any coach allow to happen when Patrick Mahomes was like carried off the field on the bench by himself, never actually got fully looked at and then limped onto the field, not able to put any weight on his ankle. And they let him not only play, but play a series. I was like, what on earth is going on? They, it was so bad that they had sent him into the locker room to get x-ray, but they let him play a series that way. This is the best player in football. Like that was insane to me. Thankfully for Chad, they had Chad Henney and he won them the game. Uh, who's going to win against, you know, the, the Bengals versus the chiefs. Dana, we got to start with you. It's in, it's in your town. Oh, let me tell you that the, the Kansas city press conferences today were ridiculous. He Patrick Mahomes walks up there, no boot on his foot, nothing. He's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. It doesn't even hurt. Everything's fine. Practice is going to be great. I'll have to sleep on it after I practice and I see how I'm doing, but I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with my ankle. And I'm like, use a liar because he's laying on there and he's like half leaning and he's got no weight on his foot. You know, he took that boot off right before he walked into the pressure room because it's a mess i will tell you that they are convincing themselves that there is nothing wrong with patrick mahomes but even if there wasn't anything with patrick mahomes i i'm still going with the Bengals. the Bengals have beaten them three times and they seem to have their number especially for that defense and there is something about this Bengals team it feels like the chip on the shoulder and the attitude feels so 2013 Seahawks to me I just love everything about them right now and bitch all you want about Eli Apple I don't give a crap the rest of it is fantastic so I I'm going with the Bengals I think they're going to beat them for a fourth time and that's going to become Patrick Mahomes's nemesis for life at that point I think that the Bengals reason for being is to lose to the NFC in the Super Bowl the, like that's <laughs> well that's, they only did it once come on <laughs> uh, they did it in the 80s too oh, okay. uh, yeah. Tim Kramer, I can tell you all about that but but uh, yeah I just Bengals I actually like the the guys on that team mm -hmm. but I hate what they mean for the teams I want to lose like the Rams should not have a Super Bowl ring and it's the Bengals fucking fault that they have a Super Bowl ring so I think the Bengals are going to win and I don't want them to, but I think they're going to win. Uh, Jeff, how about you? 
I really like this Bengals team and like their their coaching staff is really really good. I'm gonna go with the Chiefs though. I think the Chiefs' offensive line is gonna be a huge factor in this game. They're, they're they've become one of the best offensive lines in the league. And I thought Cincinnati's offensive line was gonna be a huge problem against Buffalo, but I think the snow just negated Buffalo's rush. And I think in a game like this where they gotta go play Chris Jones and Frank Clark. I think they're going to be able to win that game by playing a different kind of football that we're used to seeing for the Chiefs. I think their offensive line is going to control the game. And I think Andy Reid, uh, Nathan will like this. I think Andy Reid's going to be the reason they win the game. I think they're going to find a way to do it. They've run with inferior quarterbacks before, so I'm going with the Chiefs. Yeah, you know, I think uh, it was incredibly impressive for Andy Reid to coach that team with Chad Henney to uh, <laughs> at the championship, which is why oh, I have God. him second in my coach of the year voting. Uh Clearly, the best coach in the league uh, hasn't dealt with quite the same adversary as, adversary, uh, adversity as Kyle Shanahan, oh, who is another one of the best coaches in the league and very deserving of Coach of the Year. Uh, uh, but yeah, uh, I totally agree. Andy Reid gets his team to another Super Bowl. Got it. Well, we will talk about predicting the outcome of the Super Bowl after that. I am going to say really quickly. I'm not as upset about the Pete Carroll coach of the year snub. I am not as upset about the Ken Walker, not getting uh, offensive player of the year from pro football writers. I am not as upset about Abe Lucas or Charles cross, not making the all rookie team for pro, pro football writers. For me, the thing that's going to make me most upset and it's definitely going to happen is John Schneider will not get executive of the year. And I am telling you, I've said it all year. There is nobody. There is nobody that made a better trade than John Schneider made. There is nobody that had a better draft than John Schneider did. There is nobody that had a clearly superior free agent class to what Ichenna Nuosu, like find me a better ROI signing or Geno Smith, both free agents, both people he brought aboard. I don't know how else you evaluate. I think the degree of difficulty for what John Schneider did this offseason absolutely laps the field, and he will not win this year. And I think that's a total travesty. So that's the thing that 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 drives me crazy. Um, that's my soapbox. Okay. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for all to join. And uh, thanks to Nathan Ernst at NathanE11. Thanks to Dana O'Gorman at Dana OG. And thank you to Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons. Go to hawkblogger.com right now. Read Jeff's article. It's great. Read Derek's article. And then tomorrow you will be able to read a new contributor, Braxton's article on hawkblogger.com. Looking forward to that. Until then, go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Join Slack. Have the conversation. Continue there. And we will see you there. Until then. Goodbye and have a good night.